0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: A lot of volatility from the market. Let's keep, let's remember that the first trading that takes place in the first partial second after the data is released is by the computers and we get the big
0: price swing. Good afternoon and welcome back to another Market Monday episode of the Ag News Daily podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's your Monday going today? My Monday
2: is going pretty well, kind of a blah Monday, but uh, we got a lot of rain here over the weekend, and I think that the crops definitely could use it, so I don't know if you got any rain down there, Ashton, but it's been pretty
0: dry around here. We're supposed to get some this week. It was a little cloudy earlier today. I'm back in Lubbock this week. We're supposed to get rain, I think some thunderstorms actually, tomorrow and Wednesday. And then it's supposed to rain on Saturday, which is our graduation. I'm not graduating, but a lot of my friends are graduating with their undergrad degree. So I'm really hoping that they don't experience any rain because I think we're having an outdoor ceremony this semester. Um, And, you know, COVID canceled uh, our past graduation. So hopefully this one Mm -hmm. doesn't get canceled because of weather, of all things.
2: Yeah, that uh, I guess is a concern if you've got some outside graduation going on. But while we're talking a little bit of weather and whatnot here, we've got the crop progress report that was just released here. We're recording a little later this afternoon that was released here just a few minutes before we started recording today and we continued to see things push ahead as far as plantings go for the week ending May 2nd. For the 18 states surveyed, we saw 67% now complete as of May 9th. That was up from 46% the week prior and well above the five-year average. Typically this time of year, we're only sitting about 52% of the nation's corn crop planted. We saw pretty much increases across the board in all states. Most notably, I would say we saw Iowa. We're now at 86% done here in Iowa. Not surprised by that one little bit. I've seen a lot of folks out planting. Minnesota's also pushed ahead quite a, quite a lot at 85% now planted. And as far as sweeping plantings, We are at 42% of the nation's soybean crop planted compared to the 22% five-year average. So well ahead of pace on soybeans and in cotton, sitting at about 25% of the 15 states surveyed there. So all in all, we're pushing quite along here when it comes to crop progress reports, Ashton.
0: Yeah, Delaney, I'm honestly kind of shocked by that just because of all of the weather talk that we've been kind of discussing lately. I'm surprised that folks are actually able to get into the fields and plant. A lot of people that I've seen on Twitter at least have already finished or are close to finishing planting but one thing that i'm a little bit concerned about is the access to hay in the fall i've seen on a couple of news outlets especially in the nebraska sandhills that because it's so dry right now they're a bit concerned that hay might be an issue come fall and that some producers might not have a whole lot of access to hay
2: interesting yeah i mean we dealt with a forage issue a few years ago now we're gonna maybe deal with some hay shortage issues uh i think especially this year when you look at input costs for livestock producers being expensive you know corn and soybeans have definitely increased the cost for livestock producers to be able to use and feed and hay it sounds like could go up as well if we've got a little bit of a shortage issue going on
0: Yeah, Delaney, I've seen as well people talking about cattle rations and how that's going to work out because of tight margins and higher feed costs. So it's going to be an interesting fall, it sounds like. But moving right along here, another interesting development that we're seeing is coming from ADM. As earlier today, they announced to plan to build a soy crushing facility and refinery in North Dakota as a response to meet the increasing demand for food and renewable fuel. If you'll recall the interview that Dawson and I did with Dr. Chad Hart, we talked about food inflation and where we see, you know, food prices going throughout the rest of 2021. And as companies are counting on rising demand for food as restaurants and the travel sector are coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic and for feedstocks to produce biofuels, including renewable diesel. A renewable diesel boom could also have a profound impact on the ag industry by increasing demand for oil seeds, such as soybeans and canola. And soybean prices, of course, have gone up to their highest in in more than six years as record crush and record exports are projected to shrink U.S. stocks of the oil seed. And ADM's 350 million crush and refinery complex, which is set to be in Spiritwood, North Dakota, will have the capacity to process 150,000 bushels of soybeans per day, with the facility expected to be completed prior to the 2023 harvest, which honestly, it's not going to be too long before this thing is up and running. And ADM also plans to invest about twenty five million dollars to expand refining and storage capacity as it's crushing refining facility in Quincy, Illinois. The expanded capacity is expected to be online by the first quarter of 2022. Again, not too much time, you know, before that happens. But Cargill, last March or you know this this March that just kind of occurred, um, said that it was expanding soybean processing capacity at two large Midwest crush plants and increasing efficiency at five of their other U.S. facilities. So it sounds like ADM and Cargill are kind of gearing up for maybe a battle of swords interesting it
2: certainly does sound that way and it sounds like we're talking about all sorts of processors today because i've also got some news here about tyson they have reported better than expected second quarter earnings and they've raised their sales forecast as beef markets continue to strengthen here and we know that packer margins continue to strengthen not so much produce margins which we'll talk to you here in just a little bit with arlen suderman a little bit more about um, but The key takeaways, according to their CEO, Dean Banks, is that red meat and poultry prices have been surging with restaurants and food service outlets, not only reopening, but also restocking and preparing for economies to return back to quote unquote normal. Tyson has also opened their first new poultry plant in over 25 years this past April, just last month. And they've seen overall really A pretty big uptick in folks not only going back out to eat, but also buying protein and uh, socking it away. But interesting little piece of news there.
0: Well, Delaney, for my final piece of news today, I think that it is quite exciting and it actually has to deal with African swine fever. Whenever I think of African swine fever, I don't really think of it as exciting, but this time we're talking about a vaccine. So this could be some really great news here. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Agricultural Research Service announced, I believe it was last week, I want to say on the 6th that an African swine fever vaccine candidate has been adapted to grow in a cell line, which means that those involved in vaccine production will no longer have to rely on live pigs and their fresh cells for vaccine production. Now, from my understanding, I'm not super science-based or, you know, have a lot of knowledge on that, but from my understanding, people who are developing the vaccine, these doctors and researchers would use Freshly isolated swine cells to produce vaccine candidates and that was a big limitation for a large scale production of vaccines, but now they don't have to rely on gathering those fresh cells from live swine. Of course, no commercial vaccines are currently available to prevent the virus from spreading, but they continue to work on it. And this recent discovery is highlighted in the Journal of Virology, overcomes one of the major challenges for manufacturing of a ASF vaccine vaccine. The newly developed vaccine, I've said, grows in a cell line, which I didn't really know what that means, but apparently, and the most simple terms that I could find, just means that immortalized cells that divide continuously or otherwise indefinitely, and it has the same characteristics as the original vaccine produced with fresh swine cells, so they're just finding a more efficient way to develop this vaccine and get it out for large-scale production. This Hmm. candidate has been tested in a commercial breed of pigs and determined to be safe protecting pigs against this virus and no negative effects have been observed thus far. So not a whole lot of information just yet on really how this works or how the development works. And honestly, if there was a whole lot of information on it, I don't know that I could really report on it in a super, you know, intelligent manner because it's so science see I'm, I'm not even using like real words to describe this but it's so you know beyond what my brain can comprehend at this point but it's it's really interesting and I'm hoping that now that they have found a more efficient way to develop and produce a vaccine that hopefully we can get that rolling out soon and I I want to say I mean it says, you know, right here that this research was supported in part by an interagency agreement between the US Department of Homeland Security and the USDA so I want to say, of course, that it's being produced here in the U.S., but we haven't seen any outbreaks in the U.S. so far, which, you know, hopefully we don't, because I believe I read somewhere that the total number of pigs lost in China is more than the number of pigs that we have in our U.S. herd. So, you know, really hoping that that doesn't hit the U.S. because that's, you know, millions or billions of dollars mm-hmm. that we could lose out on. But hopefully, you know, the vaccine makes its way over to China and we can kind of put a rest to this.
2: Yeah. And while we're talking about that, I've got just two other quick pieces of news, and they kind of all go together here and go into what you were saying, Ashton. But, uh, you know, as they're trying to rebuild, the Chinese government has now released a statement that they're going to stockpile domestic soybeans for their state reserves this year for both corn and soybeans. And they're also saying that a large portion of their production is going to be transitioned from soybean acres this year into actually corn acres this year. Found that kind of interesting. But on the other hand, we're also watching to see if China is, you know, ramping up their purchases, so to speak, where are they going to get those purchases from? So on U.S., on Excuse me. On Monday, we saw the USDA announce a 1.02 million metric ton sale of corn for delivery to China. But we're also seeing Brazil start to hit the pipeline as far as soybean exports are concerned. We'll talk a little bit more in depth with this here coming up with Arlen. So I won't steal too much of his thunder, but AgRural put out a recent estimate now saying that they are estimating a 10% reduction in the Brazil Safrina corn crop, meaning that China may not be able to get any sort of stockpile needs uh, from Brazil if they're already going to be short supplied. So some interesting market dynamics at play here, Ashton. But speaking of markets,
0: why don't we hop over and see what the markets did for today? Let's do it. I'm sad I got to miss out on the conversation with Arlen. So I'm ready to see you know what was going on today. Well, today wasn't a
2: super exciting day. If you are a grains farmer, if you're an end user or a livestock farmer, grain markets today were certainly looking a lot healthier for your balance sheet, but we saw quite a bit of sell off today with news of rains over the weekend, you know, relieving some of those short term fears about weather for the US crop. The May corn contract sold off 24 and three quarters cents to end at 748. The D's down 27 and a quarter cent to close at 609 and a quarter in soybeans. The July contract down two and a quarter cent to close at 1587 and a half. The November down 19 and a quarter to close at 1414 and a quarter. Chicago wheat. Definitely lower today as the July contract down 31 and a quarter cent to at seven thirty and a half. and a half. The D's down 30 and a half cents to close at 734 and three quarters. And as you can imagine, Live cattle rallied around this news at some cheaper feed costs today. With the June live cattle contract up two twenty to end at one eighteen twenty two and a half, the August up a dollar to close at one twenty thirty five. Feeder cattle big moves today as the August contract up the limit to close at one forty eight seventy. September up four dollars to close at one fifty o seven and a half. And lean hogs had a little bit of weakness today as the June contract shed three quarters to end at one twelve ten. The July down eighty five to close at one twelve seventy. And wrapping up our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. The June contract down a nickel today to close at 1884. The July up a penny to close at 1920. Without further ado, let's kick it over to my conversation with Arlen Suderman. Well, for today's hashtag Market Monday, we are chatting with I think maybe a new voice here on the podcast, Arlen Suderman. Who is the chief commodities economist at Stonex. Some of you may follow him on social media and I've seen him elsewhere, but Arlen, very excited to have you on the podcast today.
1: It's great to be here, and uh, yeah, StoneX is new to some people. We used to be FC Stone, and then INTL FC Stone, you had to go through a spelling bee to say our name, <laughs> um, but we've grown enough on an international basis now that uh, last year we went through a rebranding and a name change, and we're getting a lot of good positive feedback on it.
2: Yeah, I kind of like the name StoneX myself. I that, that was a cool move when you guys uh, made that transition a while back, but Arlen, tell us a little bit more about your role as chief commodities economist, because you look at the markets a little bit differently than maybe some of the other folks we've had on the podcast in the past.
1: Yeah, we're a global company um, with customers in over 140 countries. So we have people on the ground in in, uh, virtually every continent where grains are grown and consumed. And uh, so that helps our um, ability to develop market intelligence and kind of related to that. Uh, I was hired back in 2015 to, to build our market intelligence department here, or some call it research departments. Uh, for a company of our size, felt like as we were growing so fast, we needed that. But uh, we chose to structure differently under the Dodd-Frank. Um, regulations than most other companies our size, where they have to have what's called the China wall between the brokers and the market intelligence people. That means that they can't talk, even riding an elevator, unless uh, a compliance officer is with mm-hmm. them listening to their conversation. And we felt like our market intelligence work would be far more Um, connected to what's happening on the ground if we were able to talk. So we structured the other way without a China wall. Um, The the only disadvantage of that is I cannot speak about predicting what derivatives or futures prices are going to do. I can talk all I want about cash prices. Uh, Our brokers can talk about direction futures prices are going to go, but I cannot. But there's, uh, you know, most producers think in terms of the cash market anyway. It's being led by the futures market. I can talk about the basis. Um, And so we really don't find that a handicap, but we find so many advantages to being able to connect. And even as I talk to you now, I'm on the trading floor with the brokers in our Kansas City office.
2: Well, fantastic. I'm excited to talk about cash prices and I'm excited to talk about some fundamentals that have been seeming to move cash prices. And one of those, Arlen, has got to be the YSD report, which comes out later this week. What are you anticipating to see?
1: A lot of volatility from the market. Let's keep let's remember that the first trading that takes place in the first partial second after the data is released is by the computers and we get the big price swings in there. Uh, all the trade expectations have been programmed into their computers and so as each number comes out If it's different from that, then the computers trade it and then the human element comes in after that. So I expect with the plethora of data in this May report, it's one of the biggest of the year with the first new crop balances of the year in it, that we're going to have a lot of volatility, a lot of big price swings there in those initial seconds and minutes. uh, And then how are we going to close? Probably one of the key things to watch from a human standpoint is what USDA does with Brazil's safrina corn crop size. USDA in April left their production estimate at 109 million metric tons for total Brazil corn production. Our team on the ground in Brazil does a survey each month of our customers to estimate the crop. And uh, a week ago, we lowered our production estimate to 100 million metric tons. Uh, another private consultancy this week has lowered it to 95.5 million metric tons. Why does that matter? because Brazil is our number one competitor on the global corn market. So any drop in corn production from Brazil generally results in an increase in exports for the United States in the next marketing year to come, or this coming fall. Will USDA do a simultaneous 600 million bushel increase? In exports, if the 95.5 million metric ton answer is correct, probably not because it's going to have to assume that the market is going to try to replace a lot of that corn with wheat. So how much will they increase wheat feeding, both domestically and globally? We currently think, based on what we see in the cash market, that uh, wheat feeding is much higher than USDA currently acknowledges. So we're looking to see how much USDA acknowledges these changes in structure, they're going to be re, kind of remain behind the curve, so to speak, on what the trade has been trading already. Um, generally, they're going to use the same acreage numbers as they did in March 31, the same yields as they did in their outlook form for the new crop. So the production side is not much of a surprise. It's these demand estimates Based on what's happening overseas, and what do they do with new crop corn demand from China? Um, Well, China's been on a buying spree again here in recent days, uh, buying about two and a half million metric tons of U.S. corn. So how aggressive will USDA be with its new crop Chinese corn importing program. Um, A lot of unknowns, probably more than normal, much more than normal for this May crop report um, coming at us from USDA Uh, and why we started this week, I think, with a big sell off because the market was leaning so heavily to long side. It's very worried about what surprises may be in the report.
2: And it seems like we always get some surprises on these reports, but uh, you mentioned something there a little bit earlier about wheat. And I think that's been kind of a hot topic as well. Right now, you look at other countries, especially China has started to turn their attention to using wheat as an alternative feed source. But so far, I haven't seen as much demand here domestically for that to happen for livestock producers. Arlen, are you hearing and seeing something different?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Much of the wheat that goes into the feed bunk here in the United States goes through our office. We're seeing much bigger numbers than what USDA is reporting. That doesn't mean that USDA is going to report it. For example, if it is uh if it is under reporting the size of the wheat crop, feed usage is not measured. It's a calculated at the end, you know, if we take USDA's production number minus known demand, and it assumes that the and then water current stocks measured to be. All the difference must be feed demand. Um, But we believe that there is much more feed wheat being fed in the current marketing year than USDA's reporting. And we believe that it's going to multiply uh, significantly as we go into the next marketing year. If we hold these corn prices through the harvest period, that's when the the feedlots, really load up on wheat is at harvest time when they can buy directly from the farmer, not have to pay any elevation charges. They can buy 90 to 120 days supply so they can take pens of cattle all the way through with, with wheat. Um, we're expecting that to be very significant. Not again, not just here, but overseas as well.
2: Arlen, let's talk a little bit about the soybean market because a uh, I've heard a lot of farmers talking about corn basis, but soybean basis, I haven't, haven't heard as much about that one. How is basis doing across the country?
1: It's been highly variable, uh, depending on if you're in an area that has a, is primarily an export market. Or a processor market and depending on whether what your supplies are what last year's crop size were we have some areas where the basis is still hot for processors trying to acquire the supplies they need for the summer we have other places that are primarily export markets that the basis is much weaker so and and, and the job of that basis market is try to move those supplies around from where they are available to where they're tight the question is are we gonna have enough to get through the summer or are we going to have a, a shortfall? Um, I initially thought that we would have a significant shortfall, but with African swine fever reducing Chinese demand right now, we're, we're seeing China start to wash out on some June-July delivery boats from Brazil. And I think that's going to extend Brazil's export season enough to get China to our new crop harvest. And if that's the case, we just might be able to get by uh, with the supplies that we currently have with some regional shortages where the processors actually have to shut down.
2: Arlen, and I know it seems like you'd be a great person to talk about this since you guys do have intelligence down in South America, but after harvest time this past spring uh, winter timeframe, you know, we didn't really ever hear conclusive numbers about how Brazil's soybean crop did because they were experiencing some weather delays, some drought at that time. Do they have enough uh, in the pipeline, so to speak, to meet all of China's needs?
1: Yeah, this is this is where our surveys have been very good down there of our customers. Um, there was a lot of thinking because of how dry it was relative to normal down there that they were going to end up with a very short soybean crop. And uh, all along, our customers kept telling us, nope, the crop is there. The crop is there. And uh, our current estimate is uh, 135.7 million metric tons of soybeans. Um, so a good crop, a record. Record crop that should take China to our harvest, um, and as long as that happens, and as long and they simultaneously are able then to get a handle on African swine fever, the second variant of African swine fever, then I think our demand for the next marketing year will continue to be solid. Um, Now, farmers are telling us the soybean crop is there a whole time. When everyone thought the crop wasn't there, they're saying, no, it's there. But they've been telling us quite the opposite regarding the safrina corn crop, which is planted after the soybean harvest. So that gives us added confidence that the problems with the corn crop are very real.
2: Yeah, and I think we've seen that played out quite a bit in uh, in futures and cash markets here. But on the soybean side of things, you know, we keep talking about tightening supplies, not only domestically, but also globally. With the Safrina corn crop, especially with your market intelligence, it sounds like that is going to see a reduction. On the soybean side of things, though, is there enough of a concern with U.S., potential reduction this year you know if we have a crazy weather year is there enough of a concern to see soybeans supported at these price levels for you know the long-term future do you think that after the summer we start to see that we didn't have weather issues or perhaps supplies aren't as tight as we originally thought south america put out a pretty good crop last year and maybe prices fall out of bed what what scenario do you see most likely i guess
1: Yeah, it's going to be tied closely to two factors, and uh, one is going to be, is China able to get control of the second variant of African swine fever here over the summer? Our our bias right now is that it will be able to do so this time around because it is more commercialized um, and it knows what it's dealing with. Uh, The other factor is what is the size of the U.S. crop going to be? Initially, for the May and June production estimates or WASD reports, we anticipate USDA will use its March 31 acreage numbers and its February trend yield estimates from the outlook form. And if that's the case, it would give us a 4.4 billion bushel soybean crop. That is not enough to meet anticipated demand. That would leave, that would require some rationing of demand through the 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 next marketing year as well. Our expectation is that we will see those acreage numbers increase closer to 90 million for the June 30th acreage report. And if that's the case, then we should be able to get through the next year without the the scope of rationing, but with very little margin for error. We're still going to have to not have any weather problems in the South American growing season in the next year coming up um, and, and no weather problems with the u.s this summer as well to really get out of this assuming that demand in china holds up uh, as we think it will we're going to have to have a bumper crop on one side of the equator or another and that does include some expansion of acreage as well on both sides of the equator
2: arlen uh, really quickly hear your thoughts on the live and feeder cattle market
1: well, feeder cattle certainly liked the lower feed prices to start off the week. That's giving a little bit of bump into in demand for the feeder cattle. But the biggest problem that the cattle complex has right now is a lack of processing capacity. Uh, we're seeing good d- demand and very impressive demand for the beef product market, but we cannot move enough cattle through the facilities in order to meet that demand. In fact, if we look at last week's slaughter numbers, it was down about 20000 head from where we need to be. Uh, We seem to be limited at about 120,000 head per day going through the plants. The only way to get the numbers higher is to increase weekend numbers, and it's been tough trying to get labor to do that. Labor doesn't like to work weekends, I guess. (laughs) A lot of us don't, Um, and uh, so It's becoming very difficult. So therefore, we have too many cattle wanting to get slaughtered, Um, basis the capacity that we have, even though the demand for product is there. So if the processing plants are not able to find a way to increase their capacity, then the job of the market is going to be to decrease the supply. And that means keeping these margins in the red, which right now they're about $100 in the red per head uh, long enough in order to get some feedlot to shut down to close some pens and reduce the supply of cattle.
2: Fantastic. Well, Arlen, if folks want to follow along with you on social media, I know you're a pretty active Twitter guy or they just want to chat markets, read what you're saying, putting out there. How can they connect with you?
1: on our website at stonex.com or on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, arlanff F F one zero one.
2: Fantastic. Well, Arlen, Thanks so much for joining today. Certainly appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Delaney.
2: Well, again, a big thank you there to Arlen for coming on and chatting markets with us today. Ashton, I'm going to have to remember to start including him more frequently in our market analyst discussion.
0: Like I said, I'm sad I got to miss out on that, but I'm looking forward to having some more great conversations this week on the Ag News Daily podcast, which folks can listen to at agnewsdaily.com or wherever they get their podcast. Hopefully they give us a good thumbs up there. But folks, while you're at it, after you give us that good thumbs up, hit that follow button on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.